Mary Met, virtual traveller, and welcome back to Stories from Law, a monthly podcast that explores folklore and the stories it inspires. My name is Dawn Nelson, and I am an author and professional storyteller. Today, I'm looking at the folklore behind the Lagomorph, in particular, the hare. The story from law for this episode is The Laddie Who Herded Hares, an old Celtic tale. The hare is a creature steeped in superstition, and there are many that would not even say the word hare. So it is thought that there are over 70 different names and phrases that refer to this animal. Throughout the Dark Ages and medieval England, the hare was considered a tricksy beast, and so was also heavily associated with witchcraft. Poor Watt sat close, hoping himself to hide. There long he had not been, but straight in his ears. The winding horns and crying dogs he hears. Then starting up with fear, he leaped and such. Swift speed he made, the ground he scarce did touch. Into a great thick wood straight ways he got, and underneath the broken bough he sat, where every leaf that with the wind did shake did bring such terror that his heart did ache. This verse is from a poem by Margaret Cavendish, a 17th century poet, and was one of the saving graces of the hunted hare, as it wasn't until the poets of the 17th century and beyond started writing poems like this about the hare that it entered into our hearts as a magical creature we know today. To understand these creatures, perhaps we should first look at their biology and nature. Hares are considered indigenous to the UK, but in reality probably didn't appear here until the Iron Age. They are much larger than a rabbit. The hare has long ears and black tips, a chiselled face and beautiful amber eyes. Most of the time, if you spot a hare, it will be running from you. In fact, if it has seen you in enough time, it will hunker down in its divot in the ground, called a form, and wait it out in the hope that you will leave. There are three different types of hare in the British Isles the common brown hare found in all parts of the Isles, the mountain hare common in Scotland. Of course, this is the iconic white hare because in the winter its coat turns a beautiful white. And then, of course, there is the Irish hare, which is indigenous to Ireland and is not found in the British Isles. The hare's young are called leverets and are born with a full coat of fur and their eyes open They are solitary animals, although they live in close proximity, and a group of hares is called a drove. There are two things hares are famous for. The first is the boxing in March, which is now thought to be the females rebuffing the males as opposed to just two males fighting. And the second is that when hares are frightened, they emit a noise which sounds like screaming. So what are the folklore of this creature? In Iron Age Britain, the hare was considered sacred, and were therefore never eaten. Even up until the 1900s in Ireland, eating a hare was considered to be as if you were consuming your own grandmother. In the 1621 publication, The Anatomy of Melancholy, by Robert Burton, he states, Hare is black meat, melancholy and hard to digest. However, hares were still used in medicine. The Romans believed that if a woman ate a hare's flesh for seven days, then they would become beautiful. Much later, countrywomen would soothe fretful babies with a concoction of hare's brains. And hare's brains were taken in wine, as they were considered to prevent oversleeping, perhaps because of the indigestion, who knows. 
it's not something I'm willing to try. Samuel Pepys carried a hare's foot to ward off colic, but it was also worn to cure rheumatism, cramps and to protect against witchcraft. These superstitions have long been transferred onto the rabbit foot, but it is with the hare that they originated. The hare's behaviour in March led to many believing that the hare actually went mad and became hell's servant, temporarily possessed by the devil himself. The hare also finds itself mixed up in changeling folklore, and people believed that a running hare was a changeling running from its human home as it had just been discovered. In old beliefs, superstition means that hares are at best a warning and at worst foretelling of death in the family. The hare's split lip gave rise to the belief that if a pregnant woman was to see a hare, or a hare was to seek out a pregnant woman, then the woman's child would have a hare lip. The remedy for this was that as soon as you saw the hare, you must stop and tear a piece from your petticoat. This was first recorded in Thomas Lupton's book, A Thousand Notable Things, published in 1579. It is for this same reason that the Gospel of Distance from 1507 warns against women eating the head of a hare. A hare crossing in front of a wedding procession filled the party with foreboding. And in Cornwall, a white hare was thought to represent the spirit of a maiden who had died of a broken heart, and that they then haunted the lovers who had jilted them in the form of this hare. If a hare runs through your town, then your house may burn down, and you should never take a dead hare on board a fishing boat. In fact, the name hare should never even be spoken at sea. For the West Cornish mining communities, the sight of a hare would equal disaster. At Wheel Vore, it was recorded that if a white hare appeared in the engine house, then disaster would occur, and this meant that the word hare should never be mentioned in the mine. As we can see, rural superstitions have meant that in the main, hares are linked to ill fortune and distrust. And if it wasn't for poets such as Margaret Cavendish, whom we just heard from, then the hare would still be hunted today for all these reasons. But it's not all bad. The hare wasn't only feared, the hare was also worshipped as well. The Celts believed that hares were heavenly messengers and could be used as instruments of divination if you studied their dances and mating rituals and, well, their entrails. Ancient Britons thought of hares and chickens as gods rather than food, and these animals were always buried with care. Boudicca, the 6th century British Celtic Iceni queen, was said to have kept a hare hidden in her dress and would release it whenever she needed guidance. Whichever way the hare ran, then that was the way that she would lead her people. Later, the 20th century poet, writer and critic Robert Graves theorised that perhaps Boudicca released the hare in the hope that a Roman would kill it and be ashamed at his cowardice, for there was considered nothing more cowardly than killing the timid hare who cowered in its divot awaiting death. This association with the Celts and the idea that the hare was considered sacred led to the theory that the hare was the original Easter bunny and played an integral part in the ancient pagan celebration of Ostra. In fact, there is no evidence that the hare is linked to a deity to do with this festival and that this is in fact an invention created by the Venerable Bede in the 8th century. Today, the hare does play a part in several celebrations. 
One of note is the Hallerton Hair Pie and Bottle Kicking event in England, where on Easter Monday, in the villages of Hallerton and Melbourne, two groups process, one from each village, towards Hair Pie Bank. As they do, bottles and small kegs are kicked along the way, and the leader of the procession holds a pole with a bronze hair upon it. Once they are assembled on the hill, the two villagers fight over the bottles and kegs, kicking them to and from until they eventually declare a winner, and the ale within the kegs is drunk in celebration. Perhaps a ritualisation of an old clan battle, this tradition is still carried out today. These old pagan rituals and links to these beliefs mean that there was further distrust in store for the hare from those who adopted the Christian religion. In the book of Leviticus, the hare is mentioned. In the King James Version, you can find it say, And the hare, because he cheweth the cud, but divideth not the hoof, he is unclean unto you. The Christian church did eventually adopt the hare, though, and you can often find images of the hares in churches in the form of a triple tinner's hare. The tinner's hare are three hares running in a circle, joined by their ears, which are all touching in the centre of the boss. This symbol is most commonly found in the churches of Devon and Cornwall. St Melangel is a well-known patron saint of hares and was the daughter of a 6th century Irish king. Her father wanted her to marry a prince, but she had other ideas and fled across the Irish Sea to North Wales, where she lived. She lived in hiding for 15 years, never once seeing a man. The story goes that the Prince of Powys was out hunting hares and pursued one into the brambles. As he pulled back the tangled mass of undergrowth, he saw that the hare was sat on a woman's lap and the dogs refused to fetch it. Melangol, for it was the lost Irish princess, refused to let the prince have the hare and when he asked her what she was doing there, well, she told him her whole sorry tale. The prince, taking pity on her situation, gave her land to live on and be free and this soon became a sanctuary for wild hares. Eventually, when Melangol died, she was buried in the church in Pennant, now Pennant Melangal, in Oswestry, and the church is St Melangal's church. There is much more to tell of the hare, and I have just scratched the surface of the law surrounding this elusive creature, but now I think it is time to tell a story inspired by this law. The story I would like to tell you concerns the sacred nature of hares, and is an old tale from the oral tradition that comes from Scotland. It is called the laddie who herded hares. A long time ago, there lived a woman with her two sons. It had been a very hard winter and the household was fast running out of food. The boys, well, they had only just reached the age where they should be going out and finding work. And so... The household was not yet earning that much money. So they had neither money nor food. And so the older brother said that it ought to be his job to go out and see what he could find. The mother agreed with this for she really did need them to pull their weight. This winter more than ever. And so she said to the older son, if you go out, see if you can find some food or some work and send back some money, then I will make you a bannock bread to take with you. Here, take this little pot, take it to the well, fill it with water, and however much water you can fill it with, 
That's how big a bannock bread I can make you. The son, he looked down at the little pot, cracked and full of holes, and he thought, oh, how am I going to, how am I going to fill this with water and bring it back? I know, if I run really fast, I'll probably manage it, he thinks. And so he goes out to walk to the well. He's taking the pot and he's thinking about it as he goes and he's walking along to the well and he hears up in a tree, he hears a little bird singing. Stop it with mud and clag it with clay, that'll help carry the water away. Oh, shush bird, I'm trying to think, says the son. Oh, stop it with mud and clag it with clay, that'll help carry the water away. Oh, what a ridiculous idea, I get mud in the water. He gets to the well and he scoops up the water in the little pot as much as he can. And he cups his hands around it and holds it tight and he runs all the way home with all the water sloshing out over the top of it and through the holes and running through the cracks. And eventually he arrives home and there is about a finger of water in the bottom of the bowl. And the mother looks at it. Oh. She can't believe how little water there is in there because it's not going to make a very big bannock bread. In fact, it makes a bread more like the size of a scone. But she does her best. And when she hands it to the son, she says, there is so little here for you to take, but please do take something else that will help you because I don't think that bannock bread's going to get you very far. Agreed, says the son. And so he looks around and he finds a little slingshot because this will at least help him to hunt on his way, hopefully, so he can find some food. So that's what he does. He heads out early the next morning on his journey and he journeys across the meadows and the fields and through the forests. And he knows that he needs to traverse the mountains before he gets to the town where he thinks there is a king who may give him work. But before he's going to climb that mountain, he thinks, I'm going to eat the bannock bread. And so he sits beneath the tree and he takes out the bannock bread and he starts to eat it. And he hears that little bird singing again. And this time the little bird's saying, can you give me some of your bannock bread? I am so hungry. Just a crumb. And then I can give you one of my tail feathers and make a magical flute from it. It'll play the most amazing music. What? What do I want with music? Says the son. I'm hungry. I need this bannock bread for myself. So he does. He eats the whole bannock bread for himself. And then he carries on on his journey up over the mountain and along to the town. And he strolls right up to the palace and he knocks on the door. And the guard there, he looks at him and he says, well, what do you want? Work, I need work and I will do any work you ask me to. I'll sweep the ash, I'll clean up the pots, I'll go and collect the wood for the fires if you'd like. There must be a lot for this palace. Come in, says the guard. The king may have a job for you. And the young boy, he is taken before the king. And the king looks at him and he says, looks him up and down and he goes, Can ye hurt hair as laddie? Well, the boy thinks about it. He thinks, well, hmm. I didn't do a bad job with the cows. It wasn't really my fault I lost one. And the pigs, well, they're just stubborn, aren't they? And the sheep, hmm. Well, I wasn't so bad. Yeah, I'm sure I can manage hares. He says, I can do hares. Yep, I can herd hares. Good, says the king. So he has given his instructions that in the morning he is going to come down to the kitchen 
and somebody will take him up to the field where the hares are and he is to herd the hares. Now the king gives him a bargain. He says to him, if you can herd all of the hares and bring them all back, every single one of them, you can marry my daughter. However, if you lose just one single hare, you will be put to death. Well, hmm, the son's not too sure about this, but there doesn't seem to be any other work forthcoming. So he thinks, well, it can't be that hard, can it? So, yeah, I'll give it a go. So he goes up to where he has been shown, where he can sleep, and he has a good night's rest. His stomach's rumbling a bit as he hasn't really had much to eat. And he, he goes down to the kitchen as instructed in the morning. And he thinks he's going to get a good hearty breakfast. But no, apparently the king has eaten all the food and all that is left for him is a little cup of water. And he is given this cup of water and sent on his way. And he is taken up to the field where the hares are and he has shown them. And he is told that there are 24 hares. And he looks at them all jumping about in the field, happy as can be, hopping this way and that. He starts to think... How am I going to herd these hares? And as he sat there pondering this question, he sees that they're all fairly well fenced in, so the, he doesn't think they're really going to go anywhere at the moment. And as he starts to look, he sees one with a hobbly leg that can't really run as fast as the others, and his stomach begins to rumble. And he thinks of that slingshot that he's got in his pocket. He thinks the king won't miss one, surely. And so he picks up the slingshot and he raises it and he lets it go and fires it at the hare. Another enormous hare jumps in the way and takes the shot for the little hobbly-legged hare. He's never seen something like this happen in animals before, but, uh, but he's not going to complain. That hare's much bigger than the hobbly-legged hare. That'll do him well. And he sets to making a fire and eating the hare. As the sun starts to set and spread the colours back out into the land before the inky black of the night takes hold, he knows he has to bring these hares home. He tries running at them, but that doesn't really work. He tries whistling to them, that doesn't really work either. Until it is pitch black and he can't even see the hares. He just thinks, oh well, they'll be all right. They've been all right all day. They'll be all right all night. And so he heads back to the palace and he finds his bed again and he goes to sleep. And in the morning, he goes to find the king to say that he has done his task and would like his reward now. And the king looks at him and he says, Laddie, how many hares were there? Well, 24. No, says the king. There are 23. And they are still in the field. They are not in the barn as I asked you to put them there. Well, you must have miscounted, says the boy. I do not miscount, says the king. And with that, the king summons his guard and the boy is put to death. Now, back at the house, the younger brother and the mother, they haven't heard from this brother for a long time. and They begin to worry for him, quite rightly so, I think. So the younger brother says he will go off and see if he can find him and he'll see if he can find work as well and maybe send some money back or some food or something, some way. And the mother, she agrees that this would be a good plan. And so she does the same thing. She gives him the little cracked holy pot 
and she sends him off to the well to get some water so that she can make a bannock bread. And the younger brother, he's thinking, how can I get more water back than my brother did? He didn't really fare well with the running, did he, with all that water sloshing out all over the bowl? I wonder how I'm going to do it. And then he heard the little bird. Stop it with mud and clag it with clay. That'll help carry the water away. What was that little bird? He says. Stop it with mud and clag it with clay. That'll help carry the water away. <gasps> what a brilliant idea, says the boy. And so he goes across the well and he stuffs up all the holes and the cracks with all the mud and he leaves it in the sun until it is hard and like clay. And then he scoops up the water and he's got a full bowl of water and he carries it close to him carefully all the way home. So that when he gets home, he has a full bowl of water. Oh, says his mother, what a wonderful, wonderful thing you have done there. Not only have you repaired my bowl, but you've managed to bring back all that water. And she sets to making him an enormous bannock bread. This bread is the size of the boy's head. When the mother says, would you like to take something else? The boy says, don't worry, mother. We have so little. This bannock bread will do me well. And so he sets off on his journey. He too has to walk across the fields and the meadows and through the forest. And he too gets to the foot of the mountain. And before he's going to climb the mountain, he decides that he too will have lunch. And he sits beneath the tree and he starts to break a bit off the enormous bannock bread. And the little bird calls down, calls down, Will you give me a crumb? Will you give me a crumb of your bannock bread? Because I am so hungry and I will give you one of my tail feathers to make a flute with. Flute that will play music like no other. The boy says, of course, you can come share my lunch with me. And the little bird hops down and he shares the bread with the bird and there is still plenty left for him to put away for later. And then the little bird says, well, of course, I must fulfil my half of the bargain. Here is a tail feather. Oh, no, you do not need to do that says the boy. No, I insist, says the bird. And he gives him a tail feather. And he says, you must fashion it like a flute and then you can play it and it will play music like nothing you have heard before. So the boy does. He has a little bit of time to spare and he makes some little holes in the, in the quill. And then he puts it to his lips and he plays it. And oh, it is the most divine music his ears have ever heard. He thinks, well, this is good. Perhaps I can get a job as a musician with this flute. And so he packs away the flute and the bread and off he goes over the mountain to the palace and he knocks on the door again. And this time the guard's there and he says to the guard, I need a job, any job. And he offers to do the same things, to get the wood in, to sweep the ash, to do the pots and pans. And then he mentions his flute as well. And he says, and I have a magical flute. I could I could play music for the king. And the guard says, well, we have musicians and we have kitchen hands, but the king does have a job that needs doing. I'll take you to him and see if you can do it. And so he takes the boy to the king and the king stands there and he looks the boy up and down. And he says to him, can you hear tales, laddie? The boy thinks about it. He thinks, well, I did a better job of herding cows than my brother did. I didn't lose one. And the pigs, well, they're all right. If you scratch them behind the ears and speak to them nicely, the pigs are fine. And sheep, well, they can be a bit stubborn, but again, I never lost one of those. Yes, I can herd hares, he says to the king. Good, 
says the king. And again, he tells him to go to the kitchen and there he will receive his orders the next morning. And he too gives him this bargain, he says. He says, if you manage to herd those hares and bring them all back home safely and into the barn, well then, you can marry my daughter. And if you don't, you'll be put to death. Well, now, now the brother has an idea what may have happened to his other brother. Hmm, he thinks. But they have no food and they have no money. So this is the only thing that the brother can do. And he just hopes he can do a good enough job. And so he goes and gets a good night's sleep where he's shown. And in the morning, he reports to the kitchen where he thinks he may get some breakfast. But alas, no, the king has eaten all the food and he is given a small amount of water before he is taken up to the field where the hares are. There's 23, says the guard. Mind there are 23 at the end of the day in the barn. Very well, says the boy. So he sits and he watches the hares dancing in the sunlight, hopping around, happy as you like. He thinks, now how am I going to herd these hares? There must be a way. I would not have been set this task if there was no way. And he thinks about it. And while he's thinking about it, he thinks, oh, I'll get the flute out and I'll, I'll play it. It'll help me think. He starts to play his little feather flute. All the hares, every single one of them, stop. Ears straight and high above the grass, listening. And then they start to dance most beautiful dance you have ever seen. Very happy hares. And it is the music that the boy is playing. He is grateful once more to that little bird. And as he is playing, the little hare with the hobbly leg hops up to him slowly and sits itself in his lap. And he strokes its soft ears and velvety fur. And he plays to the little hares. He only stops for lunch to eat that bit of bannock bread that he still has left. And as the sun is finally setting, he takes the flute from his lips and he stands up and he thinks, how am I going to get these hares back to the barn? And then he has an idea. He starts to play his flute again. And as he moves, the hares follow him, all of them. And he picks up the little hobbly hare who cannot run as fast as the others and holds it under his arm. And he takes them all the way back to the barn near the palace. And he tucks them up for the night. And then he too goes to bed. But he doesn't sleep in his bed. He puts the little hare with the hobbly leg in his bed and tucks it up so that it's nice and warm. And then he goes down and sleeps by the fire in the kitchen. He's woken in the morning by one of the maids kicking him awake. What are you doing by the fire down here? You need to go and see the king. He's really cross. The boy doesn't understand why the king is cross, but he goes. He goes to the king and the king says, Laddie, I asked you if you could herd hares. You told me you could. But there's only 22 in the barn. Oh no, I have 23, said the boy. The other one's upstairs sleeping in my bed. In your bed, laddie? Yep. I'll go get it. So he does. He goes up 
to get the little hobbly-legged hare. But there is not a hobbly-legged hare lying in his bed. Oh, no, no, no. There is a princess. And he says to her, Who are you? I'm the hobbly-legged hare, she says. There was a curse placed upon me, and you have broken it. He says, Oh, well, you must come and see your father. He'll be so pleased. And so... He takes the princess down to see the king and the king says, well, here you go. There's your bride. There's your prize. And the boy says, well, I don't know. She might not want to marry me, sire. He's not so sure. The princess is looking at the boy who she barely knows and she's been a hare for years now and she'd just like a bit of time to be a princess. So while the princess and the king are discussing this, he takes out his flute and he plays the music and the princess remembers and she remembers what kindness he showed her. And she thinks, well, I could do a lot worse. And so it is that she falls in love with the boy and they do indeed marry. And the boy's mother comes to live with them at the palace and never has no food ever again. And so it is that they all lead very happy and prosperous lives. And next time you're out and you see a drove of hares, just remember, one of them could be a cursed princess. I hope you've enjoyed my stories and folklore of hares. Unfortunately, the hare is in decline in the UK. And in 2019, Dr Diana Bell of the University of East Anglia was notified of 600 deaths of hare within six months. This was due to a form of rabbit hemorrhagic disease that had jumped species and decimated the hare population. In the last 100 years, brown hares have declined by 80% and the mountain hares by 90%. DEFRA are monitoring these numbers. And if you wish to help the humble hare, then you could consider donating to your local wildlife charity, who will no doubt be doing their best to help these creatures. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and you can find an extended version of this episode featuring a look at the Hare's association with witches and the story from Law, The Witch of Fife, on my Patreon, Rewild Yourself Through Story, as well as digital zines and audio stories at www.patreon.com forward slash ddstoryteller. Thank you to all my patrons for continuing to help my stories reach new ears. And as always, please consider leaving me a review as reviews help these stories to journey out into the world and reach new audiences. You may notice that season one's shows are being released weekly. And that's because these shows were originally aired as live stream shows earlier this year. And I've now converted them to audio for the purposes of the podcast. Season two will be launched in the new year and the episodes will then be released monthly. For more stories woven with folklore in the old ways, you can also find me on Facebook as Dee, Dee Storyteller and on Instagram as at Dee, Dee underscore Storyteller. I also have a Facebook group called Stories from Law and there we share folklore and music and books and chat a little about the podcast. Thank you for listening and I'll see you again soon for more Stories from Law. Toodle pip! <laughs>